0: Welcome back to the Depressed Salesman Podcast. Today, we want to have another authentic conversation about the intersection of sales results and and mental health and well-being. We are very fortunate to have a, a unique guest with us today, Dave Algra from Algra Brothers Construction. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to talk to you again, Mike.
0: Yeah, you bet. So, what is Algra Brothers Construction, and what does Dave Algra do there? Yeah, Algra
1: Brothers Construction was our one of our first businesses. It was a framing company, and um, over the course of 15 years, two of my brothers and I maybe it's even 20 years now, two of my brothers and I um, have grown our framing company into a residential and commercial real estate development company. So. <clears throat> developers do all sorts of things and have different roles and tasks, but the way we work is we acquire land, we design what we want to build on it and uh, we develop our land and then we actually build out, finish our construction, and then we run our own sales and marketing for selling or renting or leasing what we build.
0: There's we three Algar Brothers, correct?
1: Yeah, there's three Algar Brothers in Algar Brothers Developments. And uh, there's another couple of Alger brothers floating around in the world that are not part of our company, so there's five of us actually, and then I also have a sister, so I'm one of six. I'm in business with two of my siblings.
0: that's interesting i'm I'm one of seven, and I would say that out of the six siblings that I have, there's probably two that I could honestly see myself going into business with. Like at some point, life is just math, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the odds were in favor of having three that could work together. And it's, yeah, so I guess it's been almost 20 years now. Three of us have worked together. So it's been an interesting relationship to navigate over that period of time. And, I mean, the amount of growth and change that each of the three of us have gone through. You know, the relationship now looks a lot different than it did 20 years ago, that's for sure. But uh, I'm super blessed to have the the two partners that I have. We get along super well, and all our goals have been fairly aligned throughout our whole careers, and we've just been able to work together and be proud of what we achieve. So it's pretty awesome to be able to do that with your family. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And how do you guys... um kind of divvy up the the different roles that are required of each of the three of you or the different skill sets that each would bring to the table
1: yeah I guess the easy way I always explain this is um, my brother Phil would be our construction manager so he he would he would sort of he's sort of in charge of running our construction and production arm and uh, he's also in charge of our day-to-day financial controlling. So that's his position. And then my older brother, Peter, um, for lack of better terms, would be he'd be our architect. And um, so he's responsible for all of our design. And then I would be in charge of land acquisition and bank financing and our sales and marketing. And when we do run investment groups, I would be managing that as well um there's lots of overlap obviously between and uh, the three of us are involved in making decisions for all kinds of things so you know for design phil and i would have input on what peter's doing and when i'm looking at acquiring land you know peter and phil would have something to say about what we're gonna purchase and what we're gonna build and then on the production side too peter helps Phil out a lot so he's really involved with how to and solving problems and how to build things and how to construct things. And, and then Phil is sort of, he's a real organizer. So he's in charge of organizing everything that happens within our company.
0: Interesting. Did you, did you come across the, the sales and marketing end of things? Uh, just by chance or you have experience in that area before you guys started working together or
1: no, I've never been in a sales role in my life. Well, um, I mean, life is sales. So uh, obviously you get, you get to where you're going to be going through all these different negotiations in your life, whether it's marriage or relationships or, um, your career your job or dealing with your family i mean it's all sales based skills but i've never had an actual peer sales position um yeah when i was when we were young we were we were framers and construction laborers and um, i'm also a red seal uh journeyman auto body tech so a painter so i i I spent a a brief hiatus from the construction industry and and uh, painted cars and did a lot of metal fabrication work and and paint work on motorcycles and cars so i did that when i was young and then we came back to framing and and then evolved our framing company into the business we have now
0: in terms of your specific role and where it touches on kind of a pure selling component is it more to do with selling the idea in terms of uh, possibly bringing on an investor group or or selling the idea to come up with the financing, or is it selling the idea to the to the client of your guy's finished product? or both
1: both all of it, yeah. Um, when I was younger or when our company was younger, um, on a residential side, we like we've had a probably a show home, a model home uh, available for you for viewing probably 360 days a year for the last 15 years so we're always selling residential product that we build and and you know 15 14 13 12 10 years ago I spent a ton of time in those show homes actually selling our houses so I would be in our office and managing that part of my job from Monday to Friday and then on Saturday and Sunday I would spend You know our our open house hours in the show home and i was actually the one in the show home selling so um i mean that's just direct interface with client but like you said it's we've always marketed our brand when we're selling our product so it's not it's not it's never just been pure product focused um we've worked hard to create a brand that that shows value to homeowners and quality and innovative design and Um, thoughtfulness for how things are done and and the way we've designed and constructed things and we've always tried to have our brand show that so when I was working in the show homes yeah you're selling the product that people can see and and showing them the granite countertop or the hardwood floor that may or may not have been mirage and um, but at the same time you're also selling the bigger idea of the brand which is a yeah selling at a higher level so there's that component and you no know, present day on our commercial side, uh, we build a lot of commercial stuff and and um, lease to retail and food and beverage and personal service tenants uh, businesses. And I manage all that leasing, and I'm physically the one meeting with these tenants and and selling them on our space. So I do have that interaction or or sales happening at that level. Um, but then yeah, you're you touched on it with. When we're dealing with investment groups or or even when you're buying land um, or dealing with banks, you know that's a that's a higher level or a broader level, I shouldn't say higher because there's no hierarchy to it, but it's a different way of selling and and you're you're not focusing as much on the product as you are on on what you're what your whole entity is, and what your whole entity is capable of, and the trust you're trying to build up is not between you personally and that, and the other, the other um, company that you're in. It's you're trying to build trust between our whole group and, you know, the banker or the investor or that type of thing. Versus when you're in the show home, you know, or you're you're dealing with leasing to a, a client or a customer the trust between you personally and that person I think is more there's more focus on it or is probably more important in that transaction than it is when you're doing a larger thing that's more corporate.
0: Where would you rank uh, the belief you know the the set of values of beliefs, the the overall vision for for what you guys are as an entity in those two distinct selling processes is that similar or you know i think it's the
1: same you're trying you're trying to instill or demonstrate that whole value and belief system that our our company has in both cases um but the amount of time you would focus on that you know if you have an hour with somebody you know maybe maybe throughout that hour 10 minutes of it when when we're selling to a retail client maybe 10 minutes of that hour you know five to ten minutes of that is 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 selling the i the whole idea of our company you know and then you're going to spend the other 50 to 55 minutes like hyper focused on the product right and and how that specific product fits the need that that customer has so why is this the right house for you why Will your business succeed in this specific CRU that we're trying to lease you? Whereas when you're dealing with a bank or uh, an investment group or or we're trying to do a land deal or a joint venture with somebody, um, you you know it's it's probably more of a 50-50, right? So when you're dealing with banks and and investors and, and you're on that side, you're you're selling hypotheticals, right? So hmm you're you're not you don't have a I mean in our, our case we don't we're we're talking to these people before we've designed and built what we're planning to design and build so mm-hmm. we, we can't stand in the product or look at the product and and give them a model like walk them through the model home and say this is what you're going to get you know you're, you're selling what you're hoping is going to happen so you, a lot more of your time is spent on you know this is what we've done in the past this is why we think we should do this this way this is this is what we think of this and then you're spending enough time on the hypothetical so that they're very clear about how it works and as soon as you know that that person or whoever you're dealing with understands clearly you know what your what your pro forma is and how this is going to work then I don't spend any more time on it after that because you you're just regurgitating and repeating hypothetical and they understand it they understand it then we're going to spend the most the rest of the interaction is going to be spent on talking about what we've done in the past that's similar how does our track record set us up to succeed in this or why are we doing this this way why do we think this is a good time to do this why why do we want to do this here and and that entire conversation is riddled with what we've done in the past or where these beliefs or ideas come from right so you know you they have clarity on what you're trying to do and then the the rest of the time is going to be spent on them feeling comfortable or believing that you can do it.
0: I think that that uh, that lesson, let's call it uh, is something that's hard learned in sales that applies to both the public sale and the and the the situation with uh, attracting financing, just learning how to be quiet when it's going yeah. to be quiet. Like <laughs> you you've said enough. You yeah. it. I, I mean, I've yeah, we've dealt with
1: so many different salespeople, and and um, when somebody understands something, you, you explain something to someone and they understand it. Like, you know, when you used to sell us hardwood flooring, okay? Well, this is the type of finish we put on our hardwood floor, and because we kiln the wood this way and we put this finish on it, this is how it's going to perform differently than our competitor. And if I understand it, and I'm like, yeah, well, I understand, maybe ask you a couple questions about, you know, what is this family is, but once we get that done, I don't ever want to talk about it again. Like, why do I want to repeat that? And uh, like you said, a lot of salesmen do get caught in that trap because every client they have is different, but a lot of salespeople want to treat all their clients the same. So, I mean, that's where salesmanship comes into play, like reading The other person and understanding what they're thinking. But one of the worst things people can do is regurgitate the same information if the client or the customer already understands that information. You've already told me the benefit. You already told me what it is. I understand why you think it performs that way. I understand what you're saying the benefits are. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Right. So let's talk about other things. And then if you're with somebody who picks up really quickly on what you're doing and they, they've have your whole product line figured out and you know, they have it figured out. Well then let's talk about why you want to do business with us. You know, let's, let's talk about why our business is great. Let's talk about other things. I mean, it's such an opportunity for salespeople to move on from you have that a lot of slotted time with, with your customer, your client, if they get what you're selling, Product-wise, on the micro level, you have a, like a wonderful opportunity to spend all the rest of your time slot talking about all kinds of different things, right? So, and then I, there's lots of people who talk about how to build trust with people and talk about hobbies and talk about other stuff. But the the guys who are really skilled at it teach you about their product and educate on what what educate you on what they're doing instantly. Then after that, we just have a conversation, and maybe it's about the hockey game or. Maybe it's about kids or whatever it is, but and then you're just intertwining that entire time. You're intertwining like the, the philosophy or the values of your company and why it fits with this person, right? And it's just a big like woven web of information, versus the guy who comes in and wants to tell you, you know, over and over why their product is the best. You know, why is it? I mean, yeah, you know, you know what I mean. But yeah, that is a that is um. In my eyes, like I'm, I'm, I can just speak for myself. When people come in and they're just super repetitive about their product, i just like, I'm like either this person's an idiot or they think I'm an idiot. And I actually don't even want to deal with them, right? Like maybe I'll buy their product, but I'm not going to deal with that person because I, I just mm-hmm. can't handle it. Like it, it's, uh, yeah. I think I you think hit the to, nail on the head. There.
0: I, I think uh, it brings up another interesting question just about the psychology of people generally speaking and and how we end up where we end up in our lives um a question that i've become very interested uh in asking especially business leaders like yourself in a position like the one you hold is uh what's unique about dave algra that brings him success in his life
1: well i mean it's a two-part question um what's unique about me i mean every single person on this earth is unique so physically i'm a pretty tall guy so maybe that's my unique uniqueness physically
0: (laughs) here we go here we go let me try and let me try and dial it in a little further for you then uh i um i find that uh most people struggle to talk about their unique greatness you know, like we're, we're all unique. Um, Mm. the people who can really lean into that set of strengths, that set of talents that they're born with, who can identify those, bring them outside of themselves and clearly explain it so they can contribute it to the rest of us. That's really where success lies for me. Yeah.
1: So I guess like, maybe you're like asking me what my strengths are. Um, I think that I've just been born with the ability to, uh, well, have a high emotional IQ. So I have the ability, I guess, built in to probably read what's going on around me, maybe more so than other people. Um, so I think I would be I would be strong in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. Whether I listen to that or not is another another thing but so understanding what's going on around me I, i'm usually super aware of of how people are feeling around me and i i like to think i kind of know you know what they're thinking or or what they're doing so that would be um one of my strengths and then i think the that that would sort of be a genetic thing that you're born with and obviously i've nurtured it just using it all the time in in my business life and in my personal life so really exercising that a lot and thinking about that and trying to be aware when i'm in conversations about what's going on around me so being being thoughtful about that you know the the old saying about if you're playing poker and you don't know who the sucker is well then you're the sucker right and yeah. and when you you know and that gets back to the salesperson who who wants to just keep repeating you and regurgitating you information how they want to present it and they're just not aware of what's going on around them so so yeah genetically you're gonna maybe be more skilled than in that than some people but i also think when you're in conversations if you in your head you stop you, you ask, you're asking yourself questions all the time like how's this what's this person thinking or what's this person feeling um so that's something i do all the time and uh, that helps me um, manage situations and get outcomes that I want or that I'm looking for in my business life. And then uh, on the relationship side, um, yeah, self-reflection, I think. So that, that works into self-reflection. So when you leave an interaction you've had with somebody, the ability to reflect on it is heightened if you've been reflecting on what's happening while it's happening. So asking yourselves these questions, you know, on a, maybe it's every 30 seconds, maybe it's every minute. And after you do it for a long time, it's just something you're doing. So rather than just be having all of your energy and, and be internal and just focusing on how you feel and what you're trying to do, if you can ask yourself while you're in these situations you know what is that person feeling or what is that person thinking it 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 takes you out outside of what you're like your internal thoughts you know somewhat i mean everybody has the ultimate goal of just being present uh, you know all day every day and that's the nirvana i guess but physically or physically telling yourself or asking yourself these questions while you're interacting with people I think would has really nurtured my ability to do that so and like I said some people are better at it than me some people are worse than me but I think everybody can improve how they interact with other people if they're conscious of thinking about what other people are doing in a during an interaction so that, that would be one of my strengths I think and then another one of my strengths or uniqueness would I think I think from a career perspective and even a personal perspective I run I probably run a really low stress level like in comparison to most people that would be in my position or doing what I'm doing I I don't I don't often feel like I'm stressed out like I I rarely feel like I'm stressed out And that's not something I was born with. Like when I was younger, um, I would have been like 28 years old. And I had two mortgages on two properties. And I had a, my first child was born 2008, April. (laughs) And then we had the financial crash happen. And then my second one was born in 2010. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I was mortgaged, you know, to the Hilton and and, um, you couldn't sell any sort of piece of real estate or or do anything for a few years there. And that was a point in my life where I was really, really stressed out. Like I would just drive around and I could feel the cortisol and adrenaline just running through me while I was thinking about things like it was it was that bad. Yeah, And, uh, at that point in my life, I'm like, I, I have to kind of change things because like, I, I don't like this. So I, I made a bunch of changes in my life and learned to learned a bunch of things on how to cope and deal with that. And
0: what, what specifically would, would have been one of the changes?
1: Um, uh, well, one of them would, would is physical exercise. So, mm-hmm. um, i I, like i i religiously go to the gym and uh in the summertime i i try and mountain bike as much as i can and in the winter time i ski as much as i can but exercise is probably the number one i shouldn't say the number one way to get rid of stress i would say it's the most efficient the time and effort put into exercise versus how much it decreases your stress, in my opinion, it's the most efficient and there's the most value. If you spend one hour a day exercising, your stress, my stress levels, well, I'm assuming it'd be the same as you because I, I think you're as human as I am. But if you spent one hour a day exercising, your stress would be probably like 25% of what it is today. And I'm not saying I get to exercise an hour a day. Like I'm pretty religiously go to the gym three days a week for an hour a day, so I mm-hmm. I would say consistently get three hours a week, and then try and backfill that with like one mountain bike ride a week or yeah, just doing some other stuff. So realistically, maybe I'm getting four four or five hours a week of like hard exercise, but in four or five hours a week, like the amount of stress amount of, like the reduction in stress is massive. Because there's been a few times in you know, the last bunch of years where I couldn't work out or you know I'm away or what it just doesn't work and I go 2 or 3 weeks without exercising like that and I notice it in a huge way. So so for people who don't exercise, like that is that's the cheapest, easiest, fastest way to get the biggest stress reduction you can get in your life.
0: You know, we talk about physical health and mental health and why it isn't just a conversation about health because yeah. the connection between the two is is irrefutable you know uh, like you're you're talking about lowering stress through physical exercise uh you know you you brought up uh um you know ox- oxytocin and endorphins and i mean all of these things through through uh brain science are directly correlated to each other yeah um, so it, it's just intriguing to me that we don't uh, we don't necessarily view mental health in the same through the same lens of importance that we do physical health. I think it's changing, but mm. uh, we haven't got there yet. And why it isn't just health, period, yeah. is something that uh, really I, I I stumble over.
1: Well, I mean you're right. That's a whole discussion for another day. Um, but if you tell somebody they need to improve their health to deal with their stress, it's, it's just, it's pretty big and it's pretty ambiguous, but I mean, you can eat like shit and drink a lot and, <laughs> and not change any of that. And if you're like super stressed out, like, you know, and I've been there, I've been so stressed out. You're almost paralyzed, man. Like you can't make good decisions like because you you're just like it's literally like going from one hour to the next like it's and if you just take 20 minutes of your day and spend it getting your heart rate up high you know and doing something physically exerting you're gonna see a drop in that and like or i i would in like 50 percent like it's crazy and, it, and I, I don't care who you are. Everybody has 20 minutes or half an hour a day. Every single person that's going to listen to this show has that. Like, there's no way they don't. If they have the wherewithal to to own a, a iPhone or a computer or how, however they're listening to this podcast, they have 20 minutes a day. So that would be number one. And then number two for me was I, I did a bunch of research and reading. It's been years ago on cortisol responses and stress responses in your body and about how your body starts to perceive when you don't physically stress your body your body starts to perceive mental stress as physical stress and then you end up in that loop of having physical it's a physical stress response to thoughts in your head because you're not physically stressing your body so the other thing i started doing was uh like cold shower it sounds, and that's super easy too. Like, you run a hot shower, and in the last like 30 seconds, turn it right to cold. Right to cold.
0: Interesting.
1: And that gives you reason. I think it works is that gives you a physical stress on your body. You have a physical stress response to that physical event. So between that and exercise, your body starts to differentiate stress, like like mental stress versus physical stress and and then when things are happening to you throughout the day or you're thinking about things i i started to i found out very quickly that i started to not have that feeling of paralysis and just anxiety and fear like it just it just went away so and then that allows you to make better decisions so those are two things i started doing and i still do them to this day like like all the time so I at my place now I have a steam shower and probably three or four days a week I'll steam shower and fill the tub up with straight cold water and jump in there for five minutes after you're you're hot but you can do the same thing in the shower right so I do that all the time and then um and then I read a couple books that really that really made me think about how I'm goal setting maybe not goal so goal setting is part of it but they changed, made me change how I'm perceiving the world and what's happening around me.
0: Those are some great tools, Dave. We're going to leave it there for today and catch up with Dave again next week, where he's going to give us some great insight into goal setting, manifestation, and how he's achieved the levels of success he has in his life. So we'll catch you next week on the next episode of the Depressed Salesman Podcast.